0: we bow before you and give you the honor and the glory that you deserve we are thankful for your covenant mercies that have brought us to this day we are thankful for your covenant mercies in the Lord Jesus Christ who took upon himself uh, flesh who took upon himself our case as sinners before uh, your holiness and uh, suffered and died uh, for our sins Uh, We pray that today we might draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that the hymns and the prayers and your word especially uh, by the Holy Spirit would draw us to love our Savior more and draw closer to you. We ask you, Lord, in this uh, uh, Mother's Day also that you would bless those who have given birth to children. We know that uh, mothers' hearts are different uh, than all the other hearts, Lord, that you've made, and we ask that you would bless our mothers' Bless their children, bless their grandchildren uh, this day. And so, our Father, we thank you for all your many mercies and kindnesses to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is uh, hymn 143. We uh, look at Jesus, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, 143. Uh, the uh, 26th question in Keech's Catechism. I have one objection that the Virgin Mary is capitalized, but other than that, that's a sound statement. How did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin, and our salvation uh, literally hangs on the, the the answer to that question hangs on the fact uh, that we had a Savior who was completely God and completely man. Uh, just uh, two two notes, please pray for uh, Myanmar. They. Uh, uh, are having a, a cyclone that's up to a category five and uh, according to the report that i got this morning it's headed right where this uh, uh, a large group of refugees are and maybe towards the compound that we've been praying about uh, so we'll pray for that i forwarded a, a an email to debbie late this morning so you may be getting at sometime today or tomorrow and uh, the other thing is happy mother's day uh, the lord has uh, has uh, blessed you mothers and uh the m- mothers are are special so we come to the prophecy of zephaniah uh, this is the eighth of the 11 uh, prophets that we'll study we're, we're making progress and i'd like to read uh, uh, chapter one uh, as we begin chapter one of zephaniah the word of the lord that came to zephaniah the son of cushi the son of gedaliah son of amariah son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, and the rubble with the wicked I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on that day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards they shall not drink wine from them the great day of the lord is near and hastening fast the sound of the day of the lord is bitter the mighty man cries aloud there a day of wrath is that day a day of distress and anguish a day of ruin and devastation a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and thick darkness a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities, and against the lofty battlements. Uh, Again, now he goes back to all the nations. I will bring distress on mankind, so that they shall walk like the blind. Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end, he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. And uh, we, uh, we will see in the edu- introduction, some, uh, some uh, have commented that Zephaniah is a, a, a prophet of doom. It's a message we don't like to hear uh, in our day. But if we, if we look out and we see what the world is like, we can understand uh, that God would judge us also. So, by way of introduction, uh, Zephaniah, the word, the name, means uh, Yahweh has hidden, or Yahweh has uh, protected. And uh, his lineage is there in verse 1, and it's an interesting lineage. You remember uh, some of the other prophets just said, uh, my name is so-and-so, the the son of somebody. But uh, uh, Zephaniah goes back uh, to his great-great-grandfather. There's a a reason for this order uh, but uh, uh, many of the writers say they can't put their finger on it so his father is cushy his grandfather is Gedaliah the great grandfather is Am- Amariah and his great great grandfather is Hezekiah there but it's hard to find anybody with those names Gedaliah is in uh, the book of Jeremiah but he's one of the wicked men that after the uh, after the exile, he does all this stuff he disobeys. Uh, So the reason uh, why it's mentioned is hard to pin down. Hezekiah possibly is the king, uh, and he's last mentioned, so that would seem to uh, add some weight to that. And uh, uh, so it was Hezekiah, then Manasseh, then Ammon, then Josiah. So if uh, if Zephaniah had him as a great great grandfather, it would have been like a uh, a half brother, if you if you know what I mean. Uh, just like uh, uh, some of uh, the uh, uh, the sons born to David were half brothers of each other. That's the, that's the only way that that would connect. So uh, he could be related to them. Some people suggest that maybe these men were prophets or they were men of renown, and, and he's just uh, going back to. Uh, who they were uh, to add authority to his message. Uh, so then we come from uh, his lineage to the time, and this uh, time is uh, closely pinpointed, he says, in the days of Josiah king of Judah. You remember Josiah was the the king that uh, had quite a reformation. Two wicked kings, Manasseh and Ammon, who were uh, sons of Hezekiah, preceded Josiah. Manasseh was about 697 to 642 uh, BC. Uh, years and years of, of, of evil on the, in the nation of Judah and then uh, repentance at the end. And then Ammon only reigned two years, uh, but there was uh, wickedness in his, his reign. Uh, Josiah reigned from 640 to 610, 31 years old, but he was only eight years old when he became the king. And uh, it took a while for him to do things. But when he was 16 years old, eight years later, it said Josiah began to seek God. And evidently he found him because in the 12th year of his reign, four years later, it said he purged Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved and metal image and cut down incense and altars. And he did this uh, physically maybe with help from people, but he broke down the altars far and wide. And in Second Chronicles 34, 7, it says, then he returned to Jerusalem. So he physically left uh, the city and went out and did all this work. Uh, in the 18th year of his reign, they were doing repairs to God's house. And then they found the book of the law. So in a sense, it's like a, a double revival. He did this stuff at an early age then found the book of the law uh, at a later time and, and then there's even more uh, reforms uh, i uh, did not put the i did not put the uh, the reference down but it says in the 18th year of his reign they had the largest passover feast celebrated since samuel that's decades that's years and years and years they they tried to he tried to reconsecrate the people uh, to God. That was all in the 18th year of his reign. And then he, he died at 39 in the battle about 13 years later. There's, there's nothing else after this feast except the battle with Pharaoh uh, Necho, or Nico, however you pronounce it. And uh, uh, Josiah is killed. He's uh, wounded. He tells his uh, men, I'm grievously wounded. Take me out of the battle. Uh, and he dies. Uh, Pharaoh... Uh, Uh, Necho then laid a a heavy tribute on the land and he made Eliakim, uh, uh, Josiah's brother, uh, the king, changed his name to Jehoiakim and then took Jehoahaz, who became the king, to Egypt. He just got him out of the way. Uh, And then uh, Jehoiakim, the king that was left, uh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They went right back to uh, evil, led by the king so you have reform led by the king now you had evil led by the king Uh, during the 20 years or so that josiah tried to reform the nation there was a lot accomplished uh, but war uh, the occupation heavy taxation and his evil brother sunk the nation back into uh, sin and the next thing you know the uh, the nation of babylon is at the door Uh, Zephaniah preached during this 31 year reign uh, and they don't we don't know did his message further uh, stir Josiah to reform was it something that Josiah heard and he said I've got to get the people back to it did it did it help Uh, but it's it's hard to know exactly when so from his lineage and the time we come to uh, the the themes and uh, the the broadest theme uh, one that's mentioned uh, uh, a, a lot is the day of the Lord. The The formula the day of the Lord is mentioned twice. But if you notice when uh, I read uh, words like in that day or the day, the day, the day, it just keeps coming up over and over and over. And, and we've looked at it before uh, that this is a, a sign of God's activity. It, it's the day of the Lord, right? it's not mother's day oh we in a week we're going to ce- celebrate mother's day that's mother's day that's their day no this is the day of the lord nobody else has control of it nobody else can do anything about it it's an appointed time uh, by yahweh himself but in the in the uh, prophecy there's also uh, judgment and blessing so notice first of all the theme of the day of the lord uh, chapter 1 verse 7 and 14 for the day of the Lord is near. And then verse 14, the great day of the Lord uh, is near. Uh, there's a call to repentance before uh, the day arrives. And notice the, the emphasis on the day, uh, verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. On that day, uh, I will punish. On that day, verse 10, declares the Lord. We, we've seen the declares the Lord before. Declares Yahweh. This is something that God says will happen, and it will happen. Verse 10. Oh, verse 8 was on that day also, 8, 9, and and, and 10. Verse 14, here's multiple statements where he just tells uh, what's going to happen. The great day of the Lord is near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, and mighty man cries aloud there. And then he, in the... Uh, uh, 15 and 16, a day of, 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 a day of. God controls the day. He says, this is my day, and this is what's going to happen uh, in, in those days. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it's it's a day of the anger against the Lord. And, and there, uh, Zephaniah's prophecy uh, shifts to other nations. Uh, There are repentance themes in uh, chapter 3, verse 8, for that day uh, when I rise up to seize the prey. Verse 9 of chapter 3, at that time. Verse 11 of chapter 3, on that day. Verse 18, on that day. It's the same thing, on that day and on that time. It's appointed. It's appointed and completely controlled uh, by God. Every... On that day, every day is known uh, by Yahweh himself and, and executed according to his sovereign plans and, and his purposes. Uh, we learned uh, before that even now the day of the Lord approaches like a thief in the night and no one knows the, the day or the hour. Uh, when we studied Joel specifically, we looked at the New Testament and uh, in First Thessalonians, that's what Paul says. The day of the Lord is like going to be a like the thief uh, in the night. So it's in, it's incumbent on us not to try to figure out when the day of the Lord is, but to be ready for the day of the Lord, because we know from th- this text and other texts that it is coming. It's surely coming, and we mentioned it before. What does Peter say? We should be all holiness and godliness. Two things. Well, maybe I'll just try for holiness. No, Peter says, if you picture that everything is going to be wiped out in a second, you should be holy and godly. Uh, That's what we should do. So, first of all, the day of the Lord. Secondly, uh, judgment, the majority of the judgment of the prophecy concerning uh, uh, the nations, and then uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judah, uh, I mentioned it before, uh, some commentators call uh, Zephaniah a doomsayer who preaches in the darkest of terms. And uh, maybe in the reading of the first chapter, you said, boy, this, what kind of Sunday school is this going to be? This is pretty nasty stuff. But if you, if you understand how provoked God is in that day, you can understand how provoked God is uh, in this day. His message declares comprehensive and uh, thorough judgment. Uh, But then, uh, thirdly, uh, not only the day of the Lord and judgment, but there's blessing. There's characteristic uh, message uh, of blessing. And and that's uh, found uh, in a little bit uh, throughout. But chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. That is uh, that is uh, hope, isn't it? Uh, that's redemption. Physically, it happened in the destruction of their enemies uh, in, in several cases, but it also uh, re-seen in the Minor Prophets, it pictures the gospel age. The, the, in the gospel, then you have no more enemies because no enemies can hurt you if you're saved. Can peril or sword hurt you? Can any other nation come against you? That's the that's the blessing that's anticipated. The Chaldeans came, the the Assyrians already came, and the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., never to to rise again, and the Jews were scattered abroad. Several of the letters in the New Testament are written to Jewish people who are scattered all throughout everywhere. The the final blessing, as we'll see, uh, is found in the Gospel, and only the Gospel can give us true peace and safety no matter who is coming to uh, war against us. His uh, style and his language next is consistent with uh, Hebrew poetry. Uh, We've been learning about that uh, throughout the study in the Minor Prophets and the Psalms. Uh, But it's a clear message. It's not that we're confused. Well, I don't understand the metaphors he's using. I don't understand what he's saying about this. No, it's a a clear message. And uh, one of the study Bibles says he uses the resources of poetry to paint vivid word pictures of the coming judgment, and we could almost go back to all the prophets and, and see word picture after word picture and, and uh, imagery after imagery. Uh, it's interesting uh, that the question came up, well, why would you preach like this in a time of revival? And uh, as I thought about that, uh, I thought, well, this is, this is the kind of preaching that, that causes revivals you You have to know that God is angry with sin before you take it seriously and you realize everybody around me is a sinner, but I'm a sinner too uh, I was a little surprised well well, how does his preaching fit in this is revival revival well well this kind of preaching is an is an impetus and and it's uh it, it's like those uh Uh, those waves when the tide is coming in this kind of preaching is like one of those waves it seems like it's not going to stop that's that's what kind It, it seems like it swept much farther than than the last wave every revival that we know about people preached about sin john the baptist came said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand All Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. That's how many people, the the writers had to use the word all. It's It's not that you went to Jerusalem, there wasn't one person there. They were all with John the Baptist. But that's how many people went. Jesus came preaching the same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many people followed him? Paul, Peter preached at the day of Pentecost. Repent, that's what you need to do. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was poured out. But the most important thing was 3,000 people knew they were sinners. And the Holy Spirit's ministry did what? What happened? What happened, Gary? They They got saved. What does it say happened inside? Pricked in their hearts. That's the Holy Spirit working. I know I'm a sinner. What am I doing? That's what they said. That was the next question. That was the question they asked John the Baptist. We believe your message. Now what do we do? And he told them, don't abuse people. And if you've got something in your possession that can help somebody else, you give it to them. So, so th- th- this uh, fits with the revival because it's always the fuel uh, of true revival. And a blessing of the gospel is the gospel is always seen best in the light of the dire need of sinners. We've talked about it before. The church that says the way to salvation is first to admit you're not perfect. That's a crime. That's a shame. Well, I'm not perfect. I admit that. You can't take I'm not perfect to God. That's not repentance. That's not saying I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's not saying, like the publican, I'm standing in the corner beating my breast saying, God, show me mercy. That's just saying, I'm a little dinged up, I admit it. We've talked about it before. It wouldn't work if I offended this man and I went to him and said, Jack, sorry, I'm not perfect. It doesn't do anything. A sinner needs to see that the only person that can save them is the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's when you know repentance has gone deep enough. That's when you know you're on the right track. When you say, I can't do anything, anything, only what Christ did will help me. That's when you know. And, and, and that's, what, that's what his idea was. Sin and judgment were at the heart of it. But in any, in any work, they are at the core of revival and uh, in the same way was everybody saved in that time what happened with josiah's reforms he's dead his son comes done it's a lesson for us to remember that in our hearts in our children in our grandchildren in anybody that 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 we're in touch with we have to see that the work has gone deep into their hearts. Otherwise, it bounces off the surface like a rock. The next king did evil. And 20 years later, the Babylonians come. We saw that in uh, the book of Habakkuk. I'm standing at the wall. Why? Here comes a giant army, right? Come down upon us. And after they're done, nothing's going to be left of Jerusalem. There was a demonstration of the necessary changes by the king josiah what a, what a bold thing this young king leaves the leaves jerusalem and goes out and makes sure these reforms take place tears down altars stop worshiping other gods so that kind of reform and that kind of preaching is uh blessed uh, by the lord so that's uh, that's our introduction to uh, uh, Chapter 1, then, verse 1, we discussed it in the intro, but here's a, a familiar uh, statement. The word of Yahweh that came to Zephaniah. A- a- and that, again, shows God's sovereign choice. Who was Zephaniah? Well, we can't even figure it out. They give us, they give us three or four people he was related to, and we still can't figure it out. But, but, but here's what's important. It's the word of Yahweh that came to Zephaniah. And that's the authority he preaches with. And that's the authority that he knew was was given to him. And then he can say, declares the Lord, in that day, he can say it with confidence because God is speaking to him as a prophet. This is what I want you to say. A sovereign calling, a, a sovereign choice. It's not just a formula. Oh, well, this is a formula in the prophets. No, he chose specific men To be his mouthpiece. You remember Amos. He says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of the prophet. I was just a shepherd. I dressed sycamore figs. I took figs off a tree and I I peeled them up and I got them ready for people to eat. That's all I did. I wasn't any kind of prophet or anything like that. But all authority and obligation are required and pressed upon anyone who hears Zephaniah's message. Well, How are you to talk to us? Well, people have been saying that for, for millennium, haven't they? But Zephaniah said, no, this is the word of the Lord. It, it, it wasn't scratching his itch, itch to be a prophet and preach. There's people like that. Oh, I just want to preach. I just want to preach. He wasn't trying to tickle the ears or scratch the fancy or the itch of the people. Because the message is according to what God says. And uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4 tells us that after a while, people will get tired. Zechariah chapter 1, are you kidding? I'm tired of hearing about judgment. I'm tired of hearing about God and the the nasty day that's coming and what God's going to do to all these sinners. I'm tired of that. Oh. There's this guy in Texas, and he says he's pretty sure 99% of the people are, are, aren't sinners. 99% of the, the people are good, he says. Ah, well, that's a message I like. And, and Paul tells Timothy, these people heap to themselves teachers. They build up a pile. Oh, I like that. I like that. You'll hear all day, you're not as bad as that. You're not as bad as God tells you. Did God really tell you not to eat of that tree in the garden? That's what you hear. You hear Satan's lies. When you're told you don't have hope at all except from Jesus Christ, then you know you heard the truth. Because he's the only one that can help us. You hear anything. About ninety-nine percent of the people are good. You, you, you're, the devil is just devil is just whispering in your ears. And Paul continues, and he says they'll turn from the truth and wander off into myths. And so the uh, that is the the introduction. It's the word of Yahweh that came to Zephaniah, and then the the first oracle of judgment is chapter one, verses two and three. And uh, I'm using this uh, term oracle as my organizing point. So we'll have the first oracle, second oracle, etc. It just means it's a message that's directly from God. And you remember that Paul told the Israelites, you have the oracles. You had God's word. You know in your mind what God said to you. And he's telling them you should act that way. So the first Oracle of Judgment, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, is the whole earth is judged. It's a, really a picture of Judgment Day. It's the broadest stroke that there is. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. It's a, it's a powerful picture. Uh, I'll sweep away everything. But it's also used three different times. Uh, the New American Standard says, I'll, I'll remove everything. It's just going to be gone. Uh, the New King James says, I'll utterly consume uh, with a footnote, make a complete end of. I'm just going to get it all out of there. Sweep it away, remove, ASV, utterly consume, and it's everything. S- sweep away everything, sweep away man and beast, and sweep ab- away birds and fish. Uh, this is a, a typical uh, prophetic message of the the. The, the uncreation of things. And we've seen that over and over. The, the dismantling of everything that God made. He told them, you're going to go into a nation that, that's milk and honey. And they started to sin. And you remember way back when, our introduction, what did he say he's going to do? If you sin, what am I going to break down? I'm going to start breaking down the land that I gave to you. Eventually, as Second Peter says... The heavens and the earth will disappear with with a great sound. There's going to be rubble or the stumbling blocks of the wicked, he says. Mankind. It's the repetition for emphasis. It's a a comprehensive activity of of God. And there's there's nothing left out. And and then, uh, for certainty, God says declares the Lord or declares Yahweh, the end of verse 2 and the end of verse 3. And it's the day of judgment and it's God's global control over all things. And and Barnes says correctly, all other fulfillments are earnests of the final judgment. And earnest is a down payment. Any time that God judges in the earth, it's only showing us that he'll eventually judge because he is in control. They are witnesses, right? These judgments are witnesses of the ever-living presence of the judge of all that God does take account of man's deeds. It's a manifestation of God's law in judgment, but it points to a future manifestation. We know the New Testament tells us that Christ is going to come down. These people are put to the left. These people put to the right, and you're going to give an account of, of everything. That's the global. And we might ask ourselves, well, uh, well, what about COVID? See, that was a, a global thing. And God allowed that to happen. We would say God sovereignly controlled that. And you would say, well, that that was terrible. The the whole nation. We, we, we heard of of Britain was locked down much longer than us we heard other countries were locked down much longer than us and you would say if god could do that or allow that in his providence what else would he do to let the globe know that 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 i'm unhappy with their sins so the first oracle is the day of judgment god's global control his Sweeping away everything that's that's on the earth. And and he's the only one that has the power to do it. The second oracle comes, and that's against Judah and Jerusalem, in in chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. And then 17 and 18, it's like a bracket. He goes back to the nations. Uh, I include this all together. Uh, Some outlines uh, take up to verse 6. And then the day of the Lord is separate, but I've just put it all together. Uh, it's distinctly uh, pointed at Judah and Jerusalem. First of all, the initial charges is concerning uh, uh, Judah, and it's what Yahweh will do and to whom. Notice his activity. Graphic descriptions, he says, I'm going to stretch out my hand and cut off people from this place. And the stretching out and cutting off uh, continue with the, the things that he says. Here's the to whom. Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, the chosen city. Uh, but, but remember, ringing in their memories is the northern kingdom is already gone. The northern kingdom is already wiped out. It's interesting, isn't it, that people could still act wickedly. It shows us what's in our hearts. God already wiped out the northern kingdom, okay? Ten-twelfths, ten-twelfths of the nation of Israel. He already wiped it out, and a king in, in Judah can still act wickedly. You see, you see the situation. How does one guy have a reform and the next guy says he didn't, he didn't walk according to the Lord? The apostasy is right there. And we'll see the steps. Here's a play on words. He says, he'll cut off the remnant of Baal. Now, what is the remnant to us? The, the remnant is always the people that are protected, isn't it? it it's the people that God left behind. I have chosen a remnant. The remnant will return. But here he says, I'm going to cut off the remnant of Baal. And he uses that word that he uses in endearing terms that he's going to preserve people to say, no, I'm getting rid of every last one because they worship Baal. The remnant of Baal. All their false practices. And then he says, secondly... I'm going to get rid of all the idolatrous priests along with the other priests. All the priests I'm going to get rid of. We're going to get rid of the remnant of Baal. We're going to get rid of all the priests. Uh, Some of your versions would have uh, Chemerim. Uh, That's a a Hebrew plural. It's just a transliteration of the Hebrew into English. And Chemerim was just this group of uh, uh, false uh, priests. Uh, the the New King James wants to uh, make sure that we understand it. It says, "I'll get rid of the idolatrous priests along with the pagan priests." Pagan in uh, in italics, it, just to make sure God's going to get rid of all these false priests. Uh, in in Second Kings twenty three verse five, the the word chamareem is is used, and uh, Josiah went out and he found these priests and he got rid of some of them. Uh, there's uh, there's um, uh, words there that uh, could mean uh, black or zealous uh, uh, from their idolatrous fanaticism. You remember, uh, prophets of Baal were fanatical, weren't they? Uh, look at the incident with uh, Elijah. They were dancing around and jumping around and hopping around and screaming. And then Baal didn't, Baal didn't answer them and they started to cut themselves. What in the world does that do? But they were fanatical. They were crazy. But God says, the whole structure of the idolatrous priesthood, I'm going to cut off. All the chemereen. So first of all, the remnant of Baile is going to get rid of. Then the priest. And and then thirdly, those who bow down on roofs to the host of heaven. And Jeremiah mentions this also, and you know, and you know, if you go up on your roof to pray, you're closer to God, right? Yeah, you got me on that one, but, the, but that's the idea. I'm going to go up on my roof. I've got my little shrine up there and I feel closer to God. That's, that's a typical new agey thing. That's a typical, right? I'm spiritual, but not religious. That's a typical false religion thing. I'm going to go up on the roof. I'm going to have my little shrine on the roof." And Jeremiah mentions it as well. The Israelites set up shrines and altars on their roofs and, and worshiped other gods. The fourth category is those who bow down and swear to the Lord. And then it says, swear by Milcom. Uh, and this is a disgrace, 2 Kings seventeen, thirty-three and 41. So these nations feared the Lord, he's talking about Israel and Judah, and also serve the carved images. How do you do that? But that's what the prophecy says. They tried to do both. Their children did likewise, and their children's children as their fathers did, so they did to this day. Do You see the apostasy? Children's children, right? I didn't act the right way. I taught my kids not to act the right way, and they had kids, and they taught them. not act the right way that's what happens Solomon was involved with Milcom I read through this and it's astonishing 1st Kings chapter 9 is is God's commendation of him of the temple and his request for wisdom his prayer and a giant feast 1st Kings chapter 10 the Queen of Sheba comes and sees his glory her, her breath is taken away. She says, I, I can't believe what's here. First Kings 11 says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and they took his heart away. And by verse 5 of chapter 11, it says, he got into this Milcom thing. And then in chapter 11, verse 33, God says, judgment is going to come because of this wickedness. I'm going to take the, the kingdom and I'm going to tear it away. I'm going to tear it apart. I'm tearing myself apart. So God says, well, I'm going to tear the kingdom apart. I'm trying to serve two things. It's called syncretism. It actually means together creeds. Together creeds. You're trying to believe two things at the same time. And practice two things at the same time. I remember as a young believer, I was trying to witness to this guy and he held up his hand and he said, well, there's, I believe it's like this. There's many ways to get to God. Uh, it sounded good, didn't it? Well, what God are you trying to get to, right? Who, who's in the middle? But, but that's, but that's what people think, isn't there? Well, it doesn't matter. If you believe you can get there by the thumb, that's fine. I'm a pinky person. I think he can get God through pinky religion. You think, you're a thumb. That's not the way it goes. But, but that's what man has been doing all the time. The a question for us is, can we maintain multiple allegiances like that? We can't. Choose you this day who you will serve. Joshua stood before the nation and said, make a choice. And they said, we'll serve the Lord. And then they went and served other people. He's God. Him only shall you serve. You serve God or you serve idols. You can't serve both. You can't serve money. You can't serve God. And the total, the total of blended religion is still false religion because God requires everything. And uh, we'll have to end there. And we'll pick up with Uh, Number five next week, those who turned back and did not seek or inquire of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, uh, your mercies are new every morning. And we pray that in the light of uh, uh, this uh, difficult teaching, we might see your mercy. Your mercy is to warn people. Your mercy is to tell people about the day of the Lord. Your mercy is to describe exactly what their sins truly are and let them know uh, of their difficulty and their trouble in it. We're thankful that we had the opportunity to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would write these things on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.